0: When you just think about uh, how much God loves us, isn't it amazing? Last week, Pastor Matthew started us out talking about worship. Two weeks before that, we did a series on the foundation the living Word, Jesus Christ, and the written Word. The Bible and what we're trying to do here is to lay we laid the foundation and last week Pastor Matthew started us off with worship from Psalm 95 did a great job exegeting that passage and letting us see what worship uh, from Scripture there in Psalm 95 was all about and what he, I want to finish today is now we're going to build five pillars We've got the foundation. You've got to have a solid foundation. And once you lay that foundation, we want to build five pillars. And those five pillars are the five pillars that we believe here at Warren Community Church are needed to be able to have a healthy uh, church that is fulfilling its purpose. You ask many uh, people, many churches, what is your purpose and they'll say, well, uh, to preach the gospel. That's great. But how are you going to do that? What's your strategy? Are you going to, what, what type of, uh, of plans and preparations are you going to put in place for that? What type of sermons will you preach? Will there be topical sermons on certain topics? Uh, will they be textual sermons? Will, there be homo- will they be uh, exegetical sermons? Will they be expository sermons? You see, there's, there's probably a dozen different types of sermons that you can preach, but they're all solid biblical sermons. So what's your strategy? What are you going to do? What pillars What are you going to use to support what you want to do? Well, here at Warren Community Church, If you'll look, you'll see on your outline today, there's this big picture. Can you tell me what that picture is? Anybody? It is our cornerstone out there when this building was dedicated for the glory of God. Uh, There on August the 11th, uh, we uh, are grateful for what God has done, but that cornerstone was placed there, and that cornerstone has on it two passages of scripture that have the five pillars upon which we're going to be uh, looking at over the next several weeks that we believe need to be a part of every church not only every church but every believer's life there is worship fellowship discipleship ministry and evangelism slash missions Every church needs to have its purpose very clear. Those are our five purposes. And in those five, every one of those, we want balanced in our church and balanced in the Christian life. You see, all of us have uh, different systems in our bodies. We have a cardiovascular system. We have a digestive system. Uh, we have a skeletal system. If we didn't have a skeletal system, we'd be just like a bunch of worms. Uh, we have all types of systems in the body. There's somewhere around 13 different types of, of systems. You have an autonomic nervous system. And you go on, and when all of those systems are working and are balanced, what do you have? What do we call that? Health. But when one of those systems break breaks down and is not functioning like it should then you have what is known as dis-ease or disease and so what we want to do is to is to build the foundation on jesus christ and his word and that alone and i want to tell you every sermon that we preach here is based on the word of god the word of god we, i have no opinions to offer that are worth anything I have no object lessons that are worth anything. The Word of God is what we need in our lives every day. We need the written Word of God, and we also need the living Word of God, Jesus Christ, in a relationship with Him every day. If we don't have that, we're subject to all of the things that the world wants to throw at us. But you see, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can claim the passage in Ephesians chapter 6 where the Bible tells us that we are to put on the armor of God. And if you don't have the armor of God on as a believer and your relationship with Jesus Christ, that is, you have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, your loins girt about with truth, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Lord or the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You need that every day. If you don't, all of the arrows that get shot at you, all of the enemy's frustrations and temptations and all the things that are out there will do everything they can to destroy you. So you have got to have the foundation of Christ in your life. But then if you want to build your life, you've got to build it on pillars. Notice what it says in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Jesus said, This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. Then in in Matthew chapter 28, many call it the Great Commission. Jesus gave us this commission five times in Scripture. Once in each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And then once in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. I believe God is trying to tell us something. Now, what is this all about? What is this Great Commission? Or for many today, it's called the great omission. Then Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples, that is a command of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. Now, out of those two passages of Scripture that you, if you walk out and see our cornerstone, you will see those. But out of those two passages of Scripture comes five pillars to be built on that the foundation of Jesus Christ and his word. The first is found in in Matthew 22. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, that is worship. Now, we throw the word love around kind of flippantly. You know, we have other words in Scripture, you know, like like and have affection for and, uh, you know, those types of words, but we don't use those. We use the word love and we wear it out like, I love McDonald's french fries. Or, you know, I love one of those... uh, Sweet teas that I get every morning at um, some tea place. Or energy drink, whatever those things are. We use that word love very flippantly lots of times. Let me ask you today. Do you really love the Lord with all your heart? Then we see the second pillar is found that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's ministry. In other words, it's not just about us and being saved and, and we're on our way to heaven. That's wonderful, that's great. But then we have got brothers and sisters in Christ and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the great question that was asked by one was Who is my neighbor? And what was Jesus' answer? That really the Bible tells us, and his answer was simply this, that our neighbor is anyone who needs to know uh, what, uh, what the Lord has for him. Our neighbor is anyone around us. The third thing we see and found in Matthew chapter 28 is to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's evangelism and missions. You can't, you can't preach the gospel without the word Go. You can't say that you're proclaiming the gospel without going and, and doing that. It doesn't mean, and here's where it, it is a present active participle, and this is what it means. It simply means this, as you are going, in other words, in your normal life, every day you don't have to get on a on a boat or on an airplane like we've got a team that's just gone to ecuador that's wonderful that's great and and we should do those international missions but you don't have to you don't have to get on a plane to fulfill the great commission as you are going as you are going to Kroger, as you're going to, to the gas station, as you are going to your job every day, as you are going, make disciples. In other words, as you are going, that you are a believer, you are a disciple of Christ, and your, your responsibility is to reproduce. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Let me ask you, are we really individually are we really doing everything that we can every day as we are going sharing the gospel trying to make disciples as we go and then the fourth pillar that we see is found to baptize them well that's to incorporate into fellowship you see through baptism people come into the body of christ into church membership that's one way that we accept members into a church is through professional faith and baptism and then the, the last pillar is to teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That's discipleship. You see, we, each one should reach one and each one should teach one. Every one of us should be, uh, we need to be three things in our lives. We need to have a Paul and we need a Barnabas and we need a Timothy. We need a Paul in our lives that we can look to and can, and can teach us and disciple us. We need a Barnabas in our life that says, Hang in there, guys. I'm the son of consolation. I want to encourage you. Aren't you glad for those folks in your life that encourage you? Where would we be without them? But then we need a Timothy as well, and that is we need to, as Paul was, Timothy was, was Paul's son in the faith, and he discipled him and brought him into the faith and taught him. We need all those things going on in our lives. We need to be disciplers, bringing people to Christ. These, These five pillars help us to do five things. It helps us, and we're going to be talking a little further about to glorify God through worship. It helps us to reach the world through evangelism and missions. It helps us to develop believers through discipleship. It helps us to serve one another through ministry. And it helps us to live life together through fellowship. Now, I want to build on what Pastor Matthew did last week from Psalm 95 where he talked about worship. And I want us to see this, how that we can glorify God through worship. That's one of the pillars. We will have one of the pillars complete today. Then next week we'll move on to another one. And then the next and next. And for the next several weeks we're going to be putting those pillars so that we can build a good solid roof as well. Think of this as building a house. So how can we glorify God through worship? Well, the Lord is glorified when our worship is focused on On him what does this verse tell us in Matthew 22 love the Lord your God do you understand this because I don't think a lot of people do that God is not interested according you know this is a a quote from Rick Warren God is not interested in half-hearted commitment partial obedience and the leftovers of your time and your money he desires full devotion, not little bits of your life. In the Old Testament book of Samuel, for Samuel says that God would rather have obedience than sacrifice. Do you know I think we as a church when I'm when I say that I'm talking about the church universal that we are forgetting the significance of the impact and our responsibility to love the Lord to love him that means that there's nothing any greater or any higher that we would give affection to there's nothing any greater or any higher that we would give our time to. And there's nothing any greater or any higher that we would give our abilities and talents to. Love the Lord. Focused worship should be accurate. Now, what do I, what do I mean by that? Well, let me share just a couple of, of things with you. You know, people often say, I thank God... Uh, I think of God as this. I've heard people say, of the, uh, the big guy in the sky. That's almost blasphemous, but uh, from a lost person's perspective or a carnal Christian's perspective, I guess that's about the best they could do. And then they, they share, you know, they'll talk about their idea of what they think God is and how they uh, want to worship him. But we can't just create our own comfortable or politically correct image of who God is and worship Him. You know what that's called? It's called idolatry. In John chapter 4, worship must be based on the truth of Scripture. Not our opinions about God. Not what we think about God. Not what we think is the correct way to think about God, but simply our worship should be based on the truth of Scripture, not our opinions of it. Jesus told the Samaritan woman, True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now, there are two parameters there for worship that God will accept, spirit and truth. To worship in truth means to worship God as he is revealed in Scripture. And in spirit it talks about simply this. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit here. When Jesus said you must worship in spirit, he was was not referring to the Holy Spirit, but to your individual spirit made in God's image You are a spirit that resides in a body and God designed your spirit to communicate with him and worship is your spirit responding to God. In other words, let me give you a definition, I think, a great definition of of what worship really is. It's very simple. It's four words. Expressing love to God. That's worship. There is, worship is our spirit responding to God and expressing our love to him. You don't have to have music to do that. In fact, sometimes music interferes with worship because we think more about the, well, about the, the, the music or the performance of it than we are thinking about who we're singing to. And it doesn't matter what style of songs that you're singing whether it is a contemporary song or whether it is a, an old great hymn. I've, seen, I've been in churches all my life, uh, well, for 40 years, uh, over 40 years of my life, and a part of that is, was in really simple country churches, traditional churches, singing from the Stamps Baxter hymnal and the Shape Notes hymn. You know, every Sunday night, the guy would say, all right, get out the Shape Notes, let's sing. And we'd get out those old hymnals and people would just sing the words and have no, no meaning whatsoever to them. Doesn't You see, it's not the words. It is not the music. It is our hearts responding to God through words or through music through which we are able to communicate and express our love to God. That is worship. It needs to be authentic needs to be accurate, and it also needs to be authentic. Authentic worship is the one that most represents your love for God based on the background and personality that God has given you. Now, some of us, well, let me ask you, how many of you were raised in a home that uh, you knew your parents loved you and you loved your siblings mostly? If you, if you had siblings but there was no there was no hugging there was no kissing uh, there were no shows of affection i growing up as a child i don't ever remember either one of my parents ever hugging me but i knew they loved me so in my life it you know there was this issue of uh, when uh, Jan and I got married, uh, Jan's a hugger. And so i had to I had to learn to become a hug, Now, I enjoyed hugging her. <laughs> but then our children and those big old boys of mine now, they'll hug their daddy. And those daughters of mine hugged their daddy. And so we made a shift and we became from a non-hugging, Family or where I came from to a hugging family, and I like the hugging part better But many of us show our love and affection in lots of different ways Some of us are not very elaborate in expressing our love to God or our love to anyone else But let me just say to you this way worship Is a way in which fits your personality and fits who you are and represents your love for God you know, I've been in worship services where I've wanted to shout, as Pastor Matthew talked about last week, and, you know, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Shout unto the Lord for his goodness and his greatness. I've been in services where I've wanted to do nothing but just crawl under the pew and just lie there and pray. I've been in, I was in a service one time. Um, and it was, you know, it was a really just a traditional service and things were going, you know, really good. People were enjoying the service and lots of singing and praising and testimonies. And, and it was in a little town called Myrtle, Mississippi. And I'll never forget that service. Because all of a sudden, somebody's cup started running over. And I heard this individual I'm up, you know, I've always kind of set up close to the front. I don't like to spend $100 on those back seats. I always take the $25 seats on the front. And so I like being up front, and I was sitting there up front, and all of a sudden I heard, I heard something in the back, and I looked, and here this guy comes. He was in the back, and he, was, he started running over the top of the pews. He came down and he hit the altar. He stood there and praised the Lord for a while. And then all of a sudden, he ran out the side door. Now, I don't know where he went because I didn't see him again. And I I don't know what he was doing or what happened to him or what happened. But I want to tell you, that's not the way I generally learn how to express love or to show worship. But am I going to condemn that fellow because God filled his cup and it was running over and he just couldn't help himself? Listen, I've seen some of you mamas and daddies at ball games running up and down the fence yelling and pointing your finger and when your son or daughter does something, you like this all over the place. So don't tell me it's not in you. It just depends. It just depends on what you love the most. So don't tell me it's not in you. But our love needs to be accurate based on the word of God. As he told the woman at the well in John chapter 4 and verse 23, worship in spirit and in truth. For you see, many times man looks at the outward. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 it says that man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Aren't you glad he looks at our heart? You see, because people can fake. Now, that guy that came running across the pews, he might, I don't know, maybe he got a Mississippi squirrel up his britches leg or something. I don't know. I didn't get a chance to talk to him. Spirit and in truth. I don't know whether that was in truth or in spirit or not. I see in Scripture... Where worship that is accurate and authentic, I see King David. He is dancing before the Ark of the Covenant. Dancing. Now we Baptists believe in dancing as long as you keep one foot on the ground. Can't get both feet off the ground at the same time. Uh, that's that's sin. Aren't we funny? Aren't we silly, the way we look at things? You know, when I was first saved in the Little Baptist Church, there, was, you know, there were those, those, those sins that you, that you just didn't do. Number one, you didn't do mixed bathing. Now, that took me a while to figure out what that was. In other words, bro, boys and girls were not supposed to swim together. That was not what I thought mixed bathing was. Number two, you weren't supposed to go to any movies. Number three, you weren't supposed to play cards. Man, I like playing cards. And there were lots of other things, but people have their own ideas of what worship's supposed to look like and act like. Let me tell you something. Let me just set you free this morning. Worship the Lord in the way God has made you and for what he's done for you. Then the Lord is glorified when our worship is faithful to him. He says, with all of your heart. You know, it's just not a matter of saying the right words. You must mean the words that you say. How many times have you sung a song or made a statement or said something that you didn't really even think about what you were saying. We can worship God imperfectly, but we should not worship him insincerely. First Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7 says that we are to, that God looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, it doesn't really matter whether you're running over the top of the pews or whether you're raising your hands or whether you're you're standing quietly or sitting quietly and contemplating and meditating. It really doesn't matter because God is looking at your heart. At your heart. Then the Lord is glorified through our worship. when our worship is fixed upon him. He tells us to worship the Lord with all of your soul. You're to love the God, love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul. In verse 37, see, and from Matthew 22. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 says that God breathed into man and made him a living soul. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 28, it says, for in him, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, we live and move and have our being. What are we talking about here? It means that every, every breath that we take, and as the song says, every move that we make, should be a, a way of worship. Because God, every breath that we have is controlled by the Lord. Every breath that we are given is a gift from God. And everything that we have and everything that we ever will be is a gift from God. God made us a living soul. You know, there's all these theological arguments and things about is, a, is, is man a dichotomy or is man a trichotomy? Now, what's the difference? Well, dichotomy means that man is two things. He is material... And immaterial that he is he's body and he's soul and spirit soul and spirit being the same in their perspective or you can see as Paul says to the church at Thessalonica in first Thessalonians he says may your whole body soul and spirit follow and be blessed of the Lord Body, soul, and are we trichotomous? Are we three things? I believe we are. I believe that God has given us a body. He breathed into us a living soul, and we have a spirit that communicates with God, and that spirit is what was dead in us until we were born again when the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit of God comes in and quickens our dead spirit to life when we trust Christ and we turn from our sin and and let him be Lord of our lives. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so the Lord is glorified when our worship is fixed upon him and realizing that every breath that we take, every aspect that we are and ever will be, and then the Lord is glorified when our worship is factual about him. He tells us that we're to worship the Lord with all of our mind. Now, what does that mean, all of our mind? Well, it can mean lots of things. But there is no one-size-fits-all approach to worship. There's a lot of preferences in worship. There's a lot of uh, things that we say that we like more than we like other things when it comes to worship. But there is no one-size-fits-all to worship and friendship with God. There's one thing that I believe is absolute certain. You don't bring glory to God by trying to be someone He never intended you to be. God wants you to be yourself. In John chapter 4 and verse 23 from the message paraphrase, listen to what it says from the message paraphrase. It says this, That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before Him in their worship. One thing that Jesus did in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7 he called the Pharisees what they called worship, he called them vain repetitions. You know, I had someone a few years back, and they didn't like like contemporary music. And this is what their definition of of temporary music was. They called them a 7-Eleven song. That it's seven words sang 11 times over and over again. That was their definition. And I said, man, you're missing it. And I said, have you ever really looked at a hymn? I said, you sing the chorus every time you sing a stanza. So you're singing the same thing over and over and over again. So you're condemning yourself when you say that you don't want to sing the same phrase over again. But Jesus called those thoughtless things that we say a lot of times... And those ideas and thinking that we're more holy than someone because we have a different style of worship or our preferences for worship is different or ours is better than that. Jesus called that stuff vain repetition. I believe that God-pleasing worship is, as Rick Warren says again, is deeply emotional. Listen, if your worship doesn't move you, If it doesn't touch your heart and your emotion, then there's something wrong with your worship. There's something wrong with your love that you are expressing to God. But it should be deeply emotional and deeply doctrinal in spirit and in truth. And we use both our hearts and our heads in worship. And I notice the Bible never uh, tells us about any type of um, any type of theological uh, standards that we are to follow. It just gives us the truth. And what has happened is that man has come up with his own designs. And I want to tell you something: the things that uh, that we have. A lot of times in in our churches and in individuals and between brothers and sisters in Christ are what I believe the Bible calls disputable matters. They mean absolutely nothing that has anything to do with our relationship to Jesus Christ. It has more to do with our preference or what we think or our interpretation. I want to tell you, the Bible says it. That settles it. If you want to argue about what the Bible says, argue with the Lord. The Bible says it. That settles it. The Lord is glorified when our worship is factual about him. How do we worship God? You know, we can, there's all types of ways we can do it. We can worship through giving, speaking his names back to him. We can worship him by speaking his scripture back to him. If you've not memorized any scripture and using that scripture to to worship God, you can love the Lord and worship the Lord factually by allowing the truths of his word to live through your life and to show others that Jesus Christ makes a difference in your life. So the Lord is glorified when our worship is factual about him we can worship god imperfectly but we should not ever worship him insincerely and i'm afraid that that's where a lot of folks really are today we need to be like the ten lepers nine of them went their way but one came back and fell at his feet. You know, I remember the day on April the 18th, 1976, at approximately 11.55 a.m., singing, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God. And yes, all 11 or 12 verses that were there, I remember that day when God changed my heart and changed my life, and I remember that there was there was a, a joy that came into my heart and my life that day that I've never experienced with anything else ever. And God made a difference, and that doesn't mean that. And, and I want to tell you, I, I you know I don't mean to imply a perfection because. That is not the case at all. I'm talking about my heart changed from being focused on me and changed to be focused on him. And maybe you've never had that uh, time in your life where you came to a point to where you realized you needed the Lord. Well, today as we close, I want you to know That God has a wonderful purpose and plan for your life. But you cannot worship him truly until you come to know him truly. You need to set everything else aside and all the other ideas that you've had about who God is and how you think church is and how this, that, and the other. You need to set all that aside and just come and bow before him. You know, that morning when I got saved... I was an Easter Sunday, all dressed up pretty, you know, that baby blue leisure suit, those blue and blue and white to wing shoes. But I ended up on my face, literally, at the altar, repenting of my sin and asking God to take my life and to use me. Up to that point that day, I was an alcoholic. That's right. I drank a Mississippi River full of alcohol. But from that day, Christ immediately delivered me. From that need now I know he doesn't do that for everyone and why he did that for me I don't know and I know that there are people that still struggle with that issue but I want you to know something today there is victory over that issue in Christ and it may not be alcohol for you it may be it may be some immoral lifestyle that you're in some pattern in your life that has continued over and over and over again I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ will give you the, the power to be able to break that, that bondage. And you could list anything you want to list in there. Mine was alcohol. But God delivered me that day from that. But I just remember... how I felt almost that I didn't even have words to say of the gratitude in my heart for what Christ had done. And I want that for you. God wants that for you. And if you today will give your life and your heart to Christ, you say, well, how do I do that? Preacher, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. First of all, you've got to come to the end of yourself and realize you've got nothing to offer to God. You are a sinner. You're alienated from God. The Scripture says that you are an enemy of God. The Scripture says you have no strength and you have nothing to offer God. Now, you might compare yourself to somebody else, He said, well, I'm better than old so-and-so over there. Well, you might be, but you look around behind you, old so-and-so back there is better than you. So you compare yourself to Jesus Christ, and guess what? You're going to fall short every time, just as the Scripture says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You You are a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus is the only Savior. Jesus said in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes into the Father except through me. And so today if you will come to the end of yourself wherever that end is and give your heart and life to Christ the Bible says whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how do you call upon him? You call upon him in faith. You confess him as Lord admit that you are sinner repent and turn from your sin and turn to Christ and he will give you a new heart and a new life. And your spirit will be rebirthed. And then you'll understand, as the leper did, the one who came back, who fell at the feet of Jesus and just worshiped. I'm looking forward to the day. You know, we always talk about what we're going to do when we get to heaven. Well, I want to tell you, I don't know but one thing that we're gonna do when we get to heaven for sure. We're gonna be at the feet of Jesus. And 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 I don't think you're gonna really care what other people think either. We're so funny. God will speak to us. We'll have a we'll have a amen or a praise the Lord right there and all of a sudden it turns into a <coughs> cough. God will be speaking to us and we we know we need to do something and we get distracted. We look at our clocks and see what time it is. Well, when we really understand expressing our love to God what worship really is, simply learning to express our love to God and we can only worship truly if we are believers. So I ask you today, have you ever trusted Christ as your Savior? If not, Why not today? Lord, thank you for our time together today. And thank you for this pillar of worship that's to be in every one of our hearts and lives and is to be a part of every church. And that looks different in every individual as well. It looks different in every church. Many times people have all their own definitions of what worship is. But truly, Lord, it is in spirit and in truth. It's our heart and our spirit crying out to you, expressing our love to you based on the truth of who you are. And many times that's that's expressed in, in lots of different ways. So I pray that today, Lord, that as we build this pillar in our lives as believers, that we understand the significance of worship